0: Hey Mila Folta, welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, where we travel in the footsteps of your Irish ancestors, visiting their homelands and telling their stories as they put down roots in so many places around the world. Hello, and welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, series 4, episode 8. We hope you're well wherever you are in the world today. Thought Falter wrote, which means you're very welcome, and it's great to have you with us. Mike and I are both Irish and live in County Cork in the south of Ireland, and from here we write a weekly letter from Ireland. And we also run the Green Room, an active membership community helping those searching for their Irish ancestors. Now, the letter from Ireland has been going out to thousands of readers over the last five years. And as you can imagine, there's a lot of correspondence back and forth between ourselves and the readers of the letter. Now, many of the readers in the letter share their Irish family history with us. And one question that's often asked is what living conditions were like for their families in Ireland and maybe what it was like for them in the early days of their emigration to a new country. To answer these questions in today's show, we're off to visit two tenement houses one here in ireland in dublin at 14 henrietta street and the other tenement house across the water in 97 orchard street lower east side of new york city now what was a tenement house you might ask Well, as we discovered doing the show, a tenement house is a large house where the rooms are divided into several small partitioned off apartments. This is to provide accommodation for many families who then live in very close proximity. And of course, this often led to dire health and sanitation problems. Mostly the poor ended up living in these very cramped conditions in tenement houses. The tenement houses we visit for the show at 14 Henrietta Street in Dublin and the Tenement Museum at 97 Orchard Street in the lower east of New York City, these were both classed as tenement houses but had very different beginnings and I'll explain more. The Irish house on Henrietta Street in Dublin has been inhabited and was inhabited for over 300 years. But it did not begin life as a tenement house, quite the opposite in fact. It had aristocratic beginnings as a grand townhouse built in 1748 for the Right Honourable Richard Lord Viscount Molesworth and his wife Mary Jenny Usher. And this then was turned into tenements in the 1870s and remained like that until the last family left as late as the 1970s. Now, over in New York, the New York Tenement House was purpose-built for a large number of families right from the beginning. And it was subdivided into small apartments to enable many families to live together in their own separate apartments, but sharing facilities with one outside water tap and a few outside toilets. Many of our ancestors, as you know, traveled to America and arrived in great numbers from the mid-1800s, and many of them arrived into the port of New York. This was a major port for emigrants, and significant numbers stayed on in New York. One of these families was Joseph and Bridget Moore. Now we're going to discover a bit more about them today. They arrived here after the famine in Ireland in the 1860s. I'm sure many of your ancestors did too. And they lived for a while at Five Points. Now, Five Points was a very bad slum area in Manhattan no clean water or sanitation at all so that led inevitably to very high mortality rate for infants and so the moore family in order to better their lives and their children's health moved from five points to the tenement house that we went to visit at 97 orchard street in lower east side new york city So this is 97 Orchard Street in Lower Manhattan in New York City. And we've come here because it's the site of the Tenement Museum. This whole area in the 1850s, New York City, had an influx of people, migrants, coming here to live in the city. And that gave rise to the growth of tenements, which were buildings, really, cheap accommodation for people where they were piled in maybe i believe in the tenement museum here there were 22 families with two storefronts at the front and really people were crowded in here with very low facilities available to to them we're very interested to go in there to follow the Jacob are the family there Ruth Abram actually started this house here the tenement house when she discovered it was derelict for 50 years and she saw that there was an opportunity to show what emigrants had brought here to New York City and to America and to show and tell their story. So we're going in to follow the story of an Irish family in there and the tour is starting in a minute. I can't take in cameras but we'll keep you updated and we'll talk about it later on. So we're really looking forward to that tour. After the tour and standing on the busy Manhattan Street outside the Tenement Museum I share some thoughts of what it felt like stepping back in time and walking through the house and experiencing what life was like for the tenants and especially that one family from Ireland the Moore family. Well, Mike and I have had a most interesting experience in the Tenement Museum behind us. So the Tenement House was occupied for something like 70 years and 7,000 families moved through it. But the family that we were interested in lived there in 1867, and they were the Moors, Bridget and Joseph Moore. They, of course, came from Ireland, and because they came around that time, they were actually born during the famine years in the 40s. So they were children of the Irish Famine. Coming here to America, and living here they first settled uh, when they were married they were at five points which is a very poor district southwest of here and we realized that this tenement even though at the time it might, to us now it might look small and cramped it was actually quite luxurious to that irish family because number one they had water running clean water from the aqueduct and they also had toilets that were connected to the city sewers so they'd moved from five points where none of those facilities were because one of their children was very poorly unfortunately that child Agnes died here and they moved on again after a year in the house itself um, it was I suppose very much like traveling back into a little home in Ireland really there was the usual things the cross the shamrock the musical instruments Oh, and uh, all the little things that would remind me really of what Ireland was like. So Bridget created here for her family a little oasis, I think, in the house because she was only one of two families living there that were Irish Catholic, whereas the majority of them were Protestant and German speaking. So in a way, inside in her apartment was her home with her family. And a very nice ending to the story was that her own family have continued to her children while four of them first lived, then their children, all of their children, have lived their grandchildren and there's still some of them living around here in the area and they came back to visit the Tenement Museum not so long ago. So there you go, another family, another life and new opportunities for people. And as the director I think of the building mentioned, this was a building for hope where people came for new dreams and a new world. And America provided that for them. Census records and employment records filled in the details of the Moore family for us. And history, of course, tells us too that the Irish over the next two generations began to prosper in America and went on to rise up through the ranks of society. A major part in this progress was the fact that they could vote while others could not. Mike and I experienced the pride the city takes in honouring its Irish past, especially on St. Patrick's Day, and that was the weekend we happened to be there, and green is then proudly worn, and the impressive skyscrapers are green just for that night. When we got back to Ireland, we knew we had to visit the Tenement Museum in Dublin, so as part of our tour there on Henrietta Street, which by the way, is only a few minutes walk up from the main street in Dublin, which is O'Connell Street. And when we got to Henrietta Street, we spoke to David, our guide for the tour that day. Here, David gives us a history of the times and the house on Henrietta Street. Thank you, Corina, nice to meet you. David, we're here at 14 Henrietta Street and this is a very
1: unusual building. Can you give us a little a bit of the history before
0: we take a tour around? I'd
1: be happy to. Um, we're on Dublin's earliest Georgian Street. So although it's quite a broad street, it's a very short street. Developed initially in the 1720s and this house dates from 1748. So it's one of the last houses on this street to be built. Only 15 houses on the street. And it was developed by a man called Luke Gardner, who was a property tycoon in his day, a Member of Parliament, and a private banker. And he lived on this street himself in the 1720s and 30s, and he wanted to have the ruling elite as neighbours, so he built it with that in mind.
0: So this was a very classy street back in the day?
1: This was the classiest street in Dublin during its heyday, yes, absolutely.
0: But things changed and um, the Act of Union, I believe, brought change in politics and change in the scene here at
1: this house. It did. It, it, it uh, brought huge changes to this street, to Dublin generally, and uh, specifically this house as well. And the ruling elite all uh, vanished, really. Many moved to, to Dublin because uh, Parliament ceased to take place in Dublin.
0: So they, they, they moved from
1: Dublin off to London. After 1801. Exactly, yes, yes. And what occurred, uh, what filled the vacuum was the legal profession because during the 1800s, early 1800s, the King's Inns, which is at the end of the street, is that large cut stone building for the training of barristers, was developed. So in effect, Henrietta Street becomes a legal enclave and uh, aristocrats replaced by legal professionals
0: and from the outside the house is a georgian type house you've got the um, architrave over the what is it the half circular window over the door yes Uh, you've got red brick and how many stories is the house Uh,
1: it's massive i mean the houses here are are considerable in scale compared with other georgian buildings it's uh, four stories over basement with particularly high ceilings and it's four bays wide so in the georgian context it's a much bigger house And most of the houses you might get on Merrion Square, Fitzwilliam Square and so on.
0: Now, the interesting thing you were saying earlier as well is that the houses, the tenement houses, because that's the next phase that the house goes into. And that's the history that we'd love to hear you chat about as well today. Is that this house really wasn't a tenement house to begin. It had that grand history, aristocracy living in here. But Mm -hmm. then things changed as opposed to maybe other tenement places.
1: Exactly. So it started, the the initial, uh, original uh, family that lived here were the Molesworths, Viscount uh, Richard Lord Moldsworth and his wife Lady Mary, and they were followed by a succession of titled people, baronets and Viscounts. So for the first 50 years or so, it was the ruling elite of Irish society who lived on this street and and in this house. And then as we were saying, things began to change with the Act of Union quite dramatically, uh, legal professionals move in, and then it has one or two kind of curious incarnations as a courthouse post uh, famine Ireland mm-hmm. to deal with all the large indebted estates. And then it becomes, for a relatively short period, an army barracks. And that's quite a radical change of fortune for a, an aristocratic house. house uh-huh. And uh, that's the first instance of it be- becoming a multi family house.
0: Yeah, the multi-family thing, that's, that was quite fascinating when you were speaking about that. How many people then, as you say, it, so l- l- i let it over to you. So what happened next in the house? Okay,
1: well, the Dublin militia are expelled uh, by the legal professionals uh, on the street. They petition to have them expelled. They're mm-hmm. successful in that respect. And that brings us to 1877, when a Dublin businessman called Thomas Vance buys number 14, He's multiple business interests, he's not really a career landlord like a lot of the others, and he systematically subdivides the house into 17 flats and oh. in, he removes the magnificent marble fireplaces, we only know of them by description now, and he inserts a, a range in an oven in each of the fireplaces and creates 17 discrete flats. We understand that he was probably offering uh, well-meaning, decent accommodation to lower-income families at that point.
0: And, of course, there would have been a lot
1: of lower-income families. If you're talking about the
0: 1870s, we've passed through the famine era exactly. and quite a lot of numbers of people leaving the land and emigrating, exactly. but yep. also coming to live in the
1: capital city. That's it. I mean, Dublin, in terms of the population, is, is exploding to some degree because of the uh, displaced people from rural Ireland and like you say, many obviously emigrate, uh, over a million die of starvation. But Dublin begins to expand and Thomas Vance and other landlords are uh, trying to, to um, maybe meet that need. Uh, and obviously they have profit in mind as well. And by the
0: 1901 census, how many, people, how many families are living in, in 14 Henrietta
1: Street? By in, uh, the 1901 census tells us that there were 17 families and that there were 87 people living in this house and uh, we know that there was just the one indoor toilet, off one of the landings, and then there were two additional toilets in a a lean-to accessed out the back. Uh, There wasn't plumbing in any of the flats, in fact there never was, and people either had access to a cold water tap in the basement or a cold water tap out in the backyard.
0: And the distinctive colour along the hallways as well, you were explaining a little bit. Can you tell us a little about that red and blue?
1: Yes, well they have particular names and those colours are called Rackets Blue and Red Rattle and they're synonymous with Dublin tenements. So we find when people come on tours who have a tenement background themselves, you can see them smiling and and recognising the names and responding to the colours.
0: That's interesting, isn't it, that in Dublin here you get a lot of people maybe, it's not that long ago, people were living here then, you said, up until 19...
1: Late, late 1970s, and we, we quite regularly get people on tours who have a strong tenement background themselves, or who have even been born in this house.
0: Now, we're standing in one of the tenements dwellings which of course is a subdivision of so this room is towards the front of the house
1: are we on the first floor we're on the ground floor now so we're on uh, what would have been one of the family parlors in the Georgian period and it's accessed just out from the uh, the main ground stairway so
0: let's let's go so and talk about the family maybe that lived in this house here as we walk around and look at it so It was truly fascinating walking through the house. And then David told us about the Dowlings who lived in one room in this huge house. The room was partitioned into three areas. One area was a hall kitchen. The other was the sitting area and the third area was the bedroom. Now it was very well furnished and it looked as if the Dowlings had just popped out the door for a few minutes. So David, One family lived in this particular room here on the ground floor. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about this room and the family that lived here?
1: Absolutely. Well, their name was the Dowlings. They moved in in the 1940s. The parents were George and Elizabeth, and they had three children. So by uh, tenement standards, they had quite a small family. Surviving family, that is.
0: Surviving being the operative word there. Yeah,
1: well, we understand that uh, Elizabeth had quite a few pregnancies, but only three surviving children.
0: So this room here that we've just walked into, is there reception hallway, kitchen?
1: Yeah, it's kind of all of that. I mean, it, the, you'll see straight away that they are, partitions are in place, and these were a feature of all the flats, these relatively low-level partitions. And people came straight into the kitchen area. Uh, there is the gas cooker behind me here. Uh, gas came into most of the flats in the 1920s we've got the gas meter as well. But no sink? No sink, yeah. People look and they see uh, a cooker and presses and products and think, oh, you know, this is quite a well-equipped space. But when you look for a sink, there's no sink because plumbing never came in. So even in the late 1970s, the residents were relying on one very unreliable indoor toilet. We know that water pressure was really bad. It took the whole night for the cistern to fill up. Oh. And of course, for cooking and for bathing, there was no facilities at all. So the people used to go outside to the, the cold water tap, bring up buckets of water, boil the water, and then of course dispose with it a- afterwards. So quite a degree of hardship beyond what might, yeah. one gets a sense uh, straight away. So why
0: don't we have a look in here? This was their main uh, kitchen uh, dining. Um, I
1: see a bed, the bed. yes. So the family, like I said, were George and Elizabeth. Uh, George, the father, contracted tuberculosis, a big killer in inner city Dublin. He died very young. And after he died, uh, Lily, his daughter, shared the bed in the designated bedroom area with, with her mother, Elizabeth, and we'll go in there in a minute. And then there were the two boys, and they slept top to tail in the bed here. You notice army jacket on, on, the, on the bed itself. Is that uh, instead of a blanket? Instead of a blanket, yeah. Blankets often in short supply. Uh, coats being made of wool, very warm. And I see their drawing system there is. <laughs> yeah, the, cl- the old clothes horse. I mean, uh, what you see here is, is, is kind of life as it was from the 1940s right up until when they left in the late 1970s.
0: So the darlings lived here till the 1970s?
1: They did, yeah. yeah. And then uh, Lily, the, the daughter, is still alive. Uh, she's in her l- mid-90s now, and it's her grandchildren who've donated pretty much everything that you see here. So the flat has been recreated uh, based on their memory, their photographs, and using their furniture and their photographs so um
0: really lovely really lovely and i see the little baby bassinet here over by the window i'm sure babies children must have been a feature of henrietta street oh
1: they were well we know hundreds of babies uh, were were born in this house and i guess it's also we, we need to be cognizant of the fact that there was a very high infant mortality rate as well during the late 1900s, early 20th century, one third of children didn't see their fifth birthday. Wow, that's and we a know shocking of, number. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And there was one family who lived just uh, opposite us, um, and uh, Catherine Davis, uh, she and her husband uh, had 14 children. Only 12 survived. 12, two. T- 12 out of 14 died uh, before reaching adulthood. 12
0: out of 14, yeah. so two just survived. Yes. Wow, that's, yeah. that's really shocking. And also, I think the number of people in the early 1900s that lived in tenements like this, that was quite a high population too, oh, wasn't it, here in huge Dublin? Huge population.
1: Even on this street, like it's a short street, a broad street, 15 houses. At its peak, there were 1,000 people living on this street. So it was like a, a, a village, even though it was a single short cul-de-sac.
0: In cramped conditions and poor in sanitation conditions, and yeah. poor health. Yeah. And as you said, even the person here, Mr. Darling, had died of TB. So will we have a look in at their bedroom again, the partitioned off. Yeah.
1: Partitioned off. And uh, both uh, Elizabeth, the mother, and Lily, her daughter, were accomplished uh, dressmakers or seamstresses so you can see uh, the singer sewing machine and dressmaking and equipment and so on
0: so i guess when the father and the family died that they had
1: to fend for themselves so a seamstress would have been a good occupation i guess yes i i think that may have been brought in some money but both of them worked in a factory the same factory the player wills factory on the south circular road uh, and that's where Lily, now in her mid-90s, that's where she met her husband, Mr. Butterworth. So they both mother and daughter had a strong connection with this particular factory.
0: And the players, of course, are cigarettes, isn't that exactly. right? Exactly,
1: yes, indeed. <laughs> yes. Yes.
0: Cigarettes. So uh, having a quick look around at the bedroom, so you've got the, the brass or the, the metal bed.
1: Yes, again, a rather sort of posher version than uh, what one might have seen in, in uh, sort of the peak tenement period because of the brass finials on it. Uh, but metal beds were kind of the, were the norm and even during the tenement period if people had a bed it was usually a metal bed. Of course what was happening is that huge numbers of people were sharing the same bed and the flat we visited earlier in the basement we know that there was 11 children, two parents and they only had two beds between them.
0: Well, that flat in the basement gave me shivers. I must say it's it's really, really horrific. You said that was fourteen feet, really underground, very cold, mm. very damp.
1: Yeah. And yeah.
0: Uh, one of the stories I think that you you mentioned was that one of the boys who lived in a flat next door here. Yes. His mum said he survived because he was born in the summer.
1: Yes. He he. The family moved to just the other side of this wall, but. What well, were he, their
0: surnames again, their David?
1: S- their surname was Branigan. <laughs> And they were born, or Peter Brannigan, who's now 79, he was born in that basement flat. And like, you, like I was saying, his mother told him years later that she felt the only reason he survived was because he was born during the summer and not the winter, because the conditions were so appalling. It was like being in a cave.
0: Well, David, thank you very, very, very much for bringing us around the Dowling's house here. And they then moved on and left and moved out of the city and were moved out to houses that were built it was quite late was up was 60s 70s wasn't it in the 70s i think the last people moved here in out of 79 1979
1: exactly yes right
0: well it's a wonderful project you have here david and thank you very much for taking us around and i'm sure you'll have a lot of people come to visit 14 henrietta street and see really what life was like in dublin in the 1900s thanks david
1: thank you very much
0: One thing is certain, listeners, after our visit that day to the tenement house, I don't think I will ever again take for granted the advantages of plumbing and warmth in my own cozy home. When we were speaking to David, the differences and similarities of both tenement houses here in Dublin and in New York struck me. While both houses were rescued for the public to visit, the New York house was saved from demolition way back in 1988 by Ruth Abraham and has been running tours for many years now. And in Dublin, 14 Henrietta Street is a relatively new arrival on the scene. And with the help of the Dublin locals and the Dublin City Council, it's just really been restored recently and open to the public. The houses differed in that the Dublin tenement house had been adapted as the fortunes of Dublin changed and went from the grand house for one family to housing 17 families the New York house was purpose-built for many families needing cheap accommodation. The Irish families that lived in Dublin were among their own people and had the comfort of neighbours that spoke their language and shared their Catholic religion and traditions, while the Moors were outsiders in their home in the New York tenement away from Ireland and being only one of two Irish families among 22 families in the building. And bear in mind, too, the majority of their neighbours were Protestant and German speaking with a very different culture, customs and outlook. Visiting both houses in different parts of the world gave us a glimpse into the lives of our ancestors, those that had stayed in Ireland, flooding into the crowded city of Dublin after the famine, and those that had decided to take the boat and a chance on a better life in a new world in America. Did you enjoy our visits to the tenement houses? Well I certainly did and we're very grateful and a big thanks to David for sharing his time so generously with us when we visited 14 Henrietta Street in Dublin. I feel it's always a privilege to experience and learn about the conditions our ancestors faced whether they were here in Ireland or on their journey to a better life somewhere else for their families. I hope, too, it answered some of the queries to those of you listening whose families may have passed through houses very similar to the tenement houses that we visited. If so, do take the opportunity to visit Henrietta Street. Once again, it's time to say Slán, Slán Tamil And a warm thanks for you listening today. Thank you very much. And thanks to our friends in the green room and to the readers in the letter from Ireland, whose queries prompt a lot of our answers here in our show. If you're wondering about your Irish ancestors and you'd like to check maybe the links from today's show, just go to the show notes at aletterfromireland.com forward slash 408. So bye for now, thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next time on the Letter from Ireland show. Remember, Thog take it easy. If you've enjoyed today's Letter from Ireland show we'd like to invite you to check out our special membership area, the Green Room. You hear us mention it a lot during the show and you can find full details of the Green Room at a letterfromireland.com forward slash green room. Our green room is the essential resource for anybody at any stage in researching their Irish heritage, because it's where we delve into all the good stuff to help you break down those brick walls and really connect the pieces in your Irish ancestry puzzle. In the Green Room, you get access to online genealogists, extensive research tools, quick win training, as well as member-only access to johngrenham.com and a very supportive, active community to help you along the way with feedback and advice.